That song really brought us a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was really touched our hearts, even over 50 years later, <laughs> that people are still touched by it. That's Linda Green and Fred Kobashikawa, members of a group called Linda Green and the Temples, which formed in Honolulu in the mid-1960s when they were just teenagers. Linda Green and the Temples entered a contest called Blast Off, which was hosted by the local radio station KPOI, and they ended up winning first place. The prize included the chance to record a single for Reprise Records, and they cut an original tune written by Fred called Bossa Nova Love. You can find that song on YouTube as well as My Little Japanese Boy, which was probably their biggest hit in Hawaii. In fact, the YouTube upload has a bunch of comments from people reminiscing about their high school days and, of course, reminiscing about the band. Linda ended up recording a full-length album with Otosan in the late 1960s on the Surfside label. She also did a handful of singles with Otosan, as well as two somewhat obscure 45s released only in Japan. I first got in touch with Linda in 2016 when my friend Oliver told me about a sock hop that was happening, and Linda Green was listed as the special guest that evening. I didn't get a chance to attend that sock hop, but I reached out to the party's organizer, Doug Oshiro, and he was gracious enough to forward my email to Linda. It turns out she'd been living in Los Angeles since the 1980s, and only recently moved back to Oahu around 2013. That tidbit you heard in the beginning of this podcast was Linda and Fred sharing a story with me about the crowd's response to their performance a couple years ago. It was a touching moment, and I want to play the rest of that for you before we jump back to the beginning of our conversation. So thanks for listening and for joining us on this trip down memory lane. And I got, you know, people would come up to me and just tell me, how grateful they are and they'll hold my hand and they'll just say thank you for singing I'm just this is I never heard you sing live and so for them it was amazing yeah and then another person said you know I have the YouTube song that you my little of my little Japanese boy on my computer screen and I listen to it all the time <laughs> and I looked at her and I went Wow, you know, you, you don't know how much something touched other people. You know, something you sang or you performed mm. touched other people. And people just kept kept on coming to me, you know, and I was like practically in tears just saying, oh, thank you so much. I'm going to go I'm Linda Green Okumoto. And I'm Fred Kobashikawa. I was uh, in the group The Temples, which were, we were real pleased and honored to have Linda as our singing. So we're the backup band, The uh, Temples. Tell me a little more about The Temples. The Temples was a high school group that got together, and we it was the, the days of rock and roll. And I guess someone suggested asking Linda to sing sing with us and when she came to the sessions and we all liked it I liked it I think Linda coined the phrase the war against rock and roll is on <laughs> <laughs> or and it was something similar to what I had in mind because uh, 
the music at that time were it was out and out rock and roll and I hadn't adjusted to it quite yet. So we got together and formed a group and became Linda Green and the Temples. The selection of the songs were different from what other people were playing. We were doing stuff like Girl from Ipanema mm -hmm. and Linda would show up with uh, song sheets from musicals, from Charade, yeah. On the Street We Live, songs that came out of movies from from long ago and I liked it, we liked it and we, we included that in our repertoire. Was this in high school or earlier than high school? High school. High school, yeah. What school did you guys go I to? I went for, to McKinley, McKinley High School. Yeah. My brother and I went to McKinley High School and then of course is from Kamiki and we had a guitar player from also from Kamiki and our drummer was from Kamehameha. Can you tell me who the the other band members were? The guitar player from Kamiki is uh, Lawrence Lawrence Arada, and he had a good ear for picking. Uh, he showed up, and when we first met, he played a lick out of uh, the Raiders Raiders uh, rock and roll group, and he had improvised uh, the uh, guitar solo, and that was very impressive. And he also had a good ear for picking up uh, chords really quick. So because the songs like The Girl from Ipanema was popular at that time. And the chord structure and that, those kind of songs were a little different. They had a jazz flavor to it. And he had an ear to, to, to figure out what the chords were. And then there was a drummer, Ron Lee, went, went to Kamehameha and continued to study music after high school. In fact, after high school, my, my brother, my brother Peter, the bass player, uh, went off to work on the mainland. And I was, I stayed home and went to a junior college and eventually ended up in, in Vietnam after my deferment had re expired, student deferment. And let's see, does that include all of our players? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess that was, that was it. <laughs> Linda, what was your uh, first impression of Fred and the Tempos? I thought they were nice guys. Yeah, I, I, I did. And I think what I really enjoyed was, you know, as a group, they were playing more what was going on at the time, you know, moving into the rock and roll. Um, but not quite the wildness, which is what I liked. It was like kind of like subtle, but it was strong. <laughs> and and they and the great thing was they didn't mind playing the type of songs I wanted to sing, and they never asked me to sing something that was like really hip at that time that somebody else was singing, which I really appreciated because I kind of had my own mind of you know what I liked. So they never held me back. Yeah, know, so. there were requests from the, the public, the, your fan club, I guess, to try singing the popular music yeah. like uh, Sixteen Candles or mm -hmm. some of these names have slipped my mind right now. But anyway, we stuck to the Bossa Nova sound, uh, the uh, 
musical production songs and it seemed to work as it turned out we did well in the band the band production of Blast Off that was run by Kpoi Kpoi radio station yeah we have the Linda you brought in the program right here Blast yeah. Off Waikiki Shell yeah that's Let's see if I can turn a page. Yeah, <laughs> this is a was a rock and roll contest. Am mm-hmm. I right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you remember the bands that you uh, you all? Uh, I remember were up some against? of the bands. Yeah. Well, we could take a look too, but um, yeah, yeah, they're listed in there. Yeah. Go ahead and tell me what you remember about well, the there blast were the off. Spidells from Farrington. They all had really nice instruments. The, the guitar of choice at, at that time was Fender. Fender amplifiers, Fender guitars which we couldn't afford, so we showed up with uh, the next level below that, Epiphones, Gibson, but Fender guitars were the instrument of choice those days. Some of the other groups include um, the Frolics Five out of Kamiki, they were mm-hmm. all girls except for one guy, so they named it Buzzy and the Frolics Five. It was a group from Kalani High School, the Harmonics. And they had an interesting concept. They played, um, what's that instrument? Uh, accordion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't seen that since I used to watch the Lawrence Welk show. And I don't know if anybody, any musicians play accordions anymore. Maybe not like the way it was played back then. I'm looking at all the other bands around here, like the Aztecs, the Fabulous Spirits, the Fenders. Spirits. How many bands were at the blast off, it looks like a lot. The gents from Kaimuki. Maybe around 20, 20 bands. Wow. The impacts. I'm trying to find you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if you noticed the, on the cover the price of the program. Let's see. And I, I remember some of the numbers that we played at the uh, blast off. I think one of them was Chim Chim Cheri right. from movie. Um, was that Charade? That- no, that was from, oh, it was a Disney movie, uh, Mary Poppins. I oh, think. Yeah. and doing things on stage besides showing the group was was kind of a new thing. And so we mm-hmm. showed up with a dancer behind a silhouette. Right. So the audience would see a silhouette of a, a dancer. Yeah, and they had a, um, in, in the program, not in, yeah, in the program, they also had a section for composing, um, you know, best composed music. And so Fred composed a wonderful song called Bossa Nova Love. And we asked my girlfriend, Colleen Nomura, who was a song leader at the time in, at Kaimaki, yeah. if she would dance behind a screen with a light on her. And so we were just kind of going for, you know, everything and just being as creative as we possibly could. And she said, yeah, no problem. And so the interesting part is, you know, you had like 20 bands um, at Blast Off and everything was controlled on the other side, I mean, at the, on the other side of where people were sitting. Um, and so that was the lighting I was controlled there, the sound and all of that. And so all of a sudden, it's blacked out, and we come on, and we do a number, and I think it was the second number we did, the bossa nova love with the dancing. 
And we didn't tell anyone what we we're going to do because we didn't want the, the competition to know, right? So we just, somebody just turned on the light and we put up the screen. Um, it was like a, a bed sheet, you know, on um, a frame. Yeah. And Colleen went in between um, the screen and the light. And I started singing the song Bossa Nova, and then someone switched on the light, and she started dancing to that. Wow. And people, you could kind of hear people in the background going, what's going on? What's going on? You know, those people with the earphones. <laughs> and we just kind of kept on doing our, our <laughs> thing. And when it was all done and when we were completely through, um, you know, they all came to us. What just happened? You weren't supposed to do that. You have to tell us what you're going to do. And we went, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we, I clearly remember that. It wasn't specified that we, no. we're not supposed to have a light source on stage. <laughs> yeah. But after they went through their panic, the, the guy explained to me that if you have a light source on stage, it con conflicts with the stage lighting that they project from the back of the show. Mm -hmm. And they they weren't aware of it, and it's a, I guess they thought it could have been a big catastrophe, but it turned out to be okay. Yeah. And Fred's song won best original. Yeah. So yeah. It says it right was, here first first place. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. Yeah, I found the page where you guys are, and it says somebody wrote here on the notes first place prizes. $1,500, a big trophy, Warner Brothers recording contract, best competition, and $110 for selling over 300 tickets. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I did too. <laughs> That's my uncle, my auntie, my cousin. Let's listen to Bossa Nova Love and maybe you can, before I play it, you can tell me a little more about the song. How you wrote it because um, Fred you, it's your original composition so yeah but well, as I mentioned earlier the bossa nova sound was just becoming popular with uh, the girl from Ipanema and I liked that flavor of bossa nova and so I thought of using that as a theme for the for the piece and I think I wrote it in one night, the, the lyrics. I, I actually did the, the chords and melody structure first and then put, found the words to fit it, which I guess it's, I don't know if there's a correct way to do it, right? The, the it doesn't lead matter, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Linda is also a songwriter too. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, everybody has their own preference, yeah. which is which yeah. comes first. Yeah. The beautiful thing is that it, we have the record here with yeah, us, and I think I bought this on eBay from a friend of mine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Linda signed the front front side, and I think I'll have you sign it as well after we listen to it. You know, I'm trying to remember where we recorded that. Linda, do you remember? Was that at the Cape Boy Studio? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was interesting. With Tom Having this yeah. jockeys run the studio, <laughs> and there was a small hole between the the place we performed, which is all soundproof, and and it was a window like this connected to the guided operated uh, 
recording equipment, which I think was tape. Many, many multi-track tape recorder. So they had each instrument and Linda all on a separate track. Mm. What's amazing is that we did it all live. Thank you for doing the song. <laughs> of course, it's a great song and should yeah. be writing more. Yeah. Was this before or after My Little Japanese Boy? Before. Before. Yeah, that's all. I guess that's why we didn't do My Little Japanese right. Boy on that production. Right. And that was because Japanese Boy was actually recorded several years prior. Oh. Yeah. Be- before even high school. It was sitting in a can It was sitting in a can. They call it, it was canned until something happened where they uncanned it. And yeah. Yeah. You guys won the prize and then they then they thought to themselves, oh no, we got to get the other one out. I think maybe. maybe, you know. Yeah. And I wasn't even in Hawaii. I was in school in San Francisco. That record label was quite an honor to get onto it because that was a, a popular record label that used to cover the the big boys like Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. reprise mm-hmm. yeah I think he eventually was part owner of that I always called it reprise but the people from Europe called it reprise re- re- reprise oh really yeah oh, it, interesting. it it came up came to be a subject in one of those gatherings where we did uh, backup entertainment for groups that came in from the mainland. Mm. There was a period of time that was popular where there'd be a show at the Conroy Bowl in Pearl Harbor and another show at the Waikiki Shell and they advertised the same 
groups on in playing in both places. Mm. So what has what happened was during the intermission or between sets, we'd get in the bus, hired chartered bus, and we'd go from Pearl Harbor to Waikiki Shell, and and the performers from the Waikiki Shell would be bussed over to. Conrad Bull. I don't know if they still do that. I doubt if they would do that. Yeah. Um, can you tell me what, what is the Conroy Bull? Well, the Conroy Bull is a, is an amphitheater set up in in Pearl Harbor. And it's a multifunction facility that did sports, basketball, volleyball, and they also did stage, stage production. So it was a I, I recall it was a round structure, but there was one end that they could change from a seating arrangement to a stage. And again, at that time, doing two concerts with the same uh, entertainers on both sides was, was popular. But it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and we did a lot of openings for some of the big yeah, entertainers right. at that time, like the Brightest, Re Brightest Brothers yeah. and the Kinks from England. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And that strange drummer. God, he was really strange. But 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 he was, I mean, they were all very, very popular. Yeah. What was that? There was one more. Um, Kinks and Hermit's Hermit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was at the... Uh, Neil Blaisdell, huh? Yeah, yeah. And then we would, like you said, you know, they would put us all in a bus together with these named famous groups that was known internationally because we were the opening group. Then we'd go to one of the bases. Yeah, that's right. And then we'd right. perform uh, for the military, you know, people, yeah. Yeah, those were fun days. What other kind of... Um Venues or clubs were you guys doing at that time? There were a lot of gigs at uh, senior proms right. or high school proms, junior or senior. And we would be the entertainment for the during the inter intermission. So it wasn't a long set, maybe no. four yeah. or five songs. Yeah. I think we were so popular that we were asked almost every high school i mean we performed almost at every yeah high that's school. right yeah one either their prom or something you know it was it was very exciting <laughs> it was exciting times for yeah. us yeah um yeah let's talk about the the my little japanese boy release then or the song itself because you said it was recorded before bossa nova love but the actual release came out after and it was written by i'm guessing george kimoto yeah yes. george kimoto and he was in a band called the tell stars that's right. right yeah yeah tell me about your uh your friendship with george and and how this song came to be well i don't think well i met george very briefly um because he had written the song and I can't even remember. I don't know if Ron Jacobs, which was who was a DJ at the time, had asked me um, if I would be interested in singing the song, and because they were looking for a singer, and so um, they they I listened to the song, 
and it was already recorded by someone else, you know, another singer. And so I went, oh, you know, that, you know, why would they want me, you know, to sing it? But I, whatever, I don't know what happened, but they decided not to use that singer. And so I just said, sure, you know, um, I'll, I'll sing it. So I learned it and then went to um, Sounds of Hawaii on a certain time, maybe in a week or two. And then I performed it over what they already had recorded. So the tempos did not really record that song with me. And I didn't even know the tempos at the time. So I recorded that um, with the music that they had uh, that was already taped. Um, and then it was canned. <laughs> I don't know why, I'm not sure, but, um, and then it seemed like it had moved hands uh, throughout the years. And then all of a sudden, um, you were in California? I was in, yeah, I was going right. to school in San Francisco Conservatory of Music. And then I, I got a call from our manager, Tom Moffat, who managed us, you know, in high school. And he was one of the main DJs that had put on Blast, Blast Off. And he was the one who got all of um, us the gigs with all these named, you know, international stars. And so... He calls me and he says, do you want to hear, I mean, do you want people to hear the song My Little Japanese Boy? And I went, oh, yeah, sure, you know, why not? He says, okay. And so then he sent me some paperwork and I signed it and I sent it back to him. Um, and then it started, it was released and it was released on his program. And so I didn't know then he had the control over my little Japanese boy. So whoever had it before, like I said, it changed hands. I don't, you know, copyright, whatever. And Tom Moffat had it. And so he started playing it and people liked it. Yeah. And especially people our age. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they loved it. And I think a lot of people got confused because it was like right after I graduated and so many people our age thought it was released during our time when we were singing with the, when I was singing with the temples oh so by this time you'd gone to San Francisco yeah. Linda Green and the temples weren't together anymore right yeah. right right it's not that like it's yeah it just kind of Stop because I had moved to go yeah, away. Yeah. yeah, and I think Peter also moved. When move, move yeah, the bass player, his brother. Yeah, moved. Yeah. So, and that's how it all happened. So people come to you today and say, oh, "I remember when you played that song in high school yes. at our prom." And yes, and I didn't have the heart to say, uh, you know, give them the whole explanation. I just said, "Oh yeah, thank you." You know, so, and I think a lot of people. After I graduated, during their high school period, um, you know, one or two or three years after me, um, younger, you know, I would say not after me, but younger, um, yeah, after me, um, it it was going on during their high school period. So they just kind of assumed 
you know, that I was still singing that song <laughs> during that time. Yeah, this must have been like 1967 or 8? Yeah, Because the Bossa Nova Love song won the blast off in 65, 65 right. April 65. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because when I started doing research on Linda Green and the Tempos, Online, there's a lot of videos mm -hmm. and a lot of like message boards of mm -hmm. people reminiscing about the band, and what always comes up is my little Japanese boy. Yeah. Not so much the uh, people kind of remember that you guys won a mm -hmm. competition, but I'm not really sure how. I guess available this was right. locally on right. the Reprise record label. Right. Yeah, but um. This one on Teen Records turns up a lot. Turns up often, I guess yeah. I should say. And yeah. I think Teen Records. So local. I think it's local. I think I think it was Tom Moffat's, mm. if I'm not mistaken. But I'm not sure. That would be something good to, um, you know, to research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have Teen Records has a lot of great bands that were in the blast off, like Tell Stars mm -hmm. and Mop Top. I don't know if the Mop Tops were in the blast off, but. A lot of bands from that mm -hmm. era, the mm -hmm. casuals of Waikiki yeah. kind of thing. So let's listen to it. Yeah, yeah sure. There's a little Japanese boy in my hometown, and he smiles at me whenever I see him.
What was Tom Moffat like? He was a very jolly person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he had a great personality, uh, very nice, and um, he seemed very caring. Um, and we, he gave us a lot of jobs, you know, which we're ever so yeah, grateful for. Yeah, he kept for. us busy. Yeah. And this was high school, you know, all throughout high school. Yeah. And he was, he was the one who really introduced rock music to the islands. Or the islands to rock music, I should say. Yeah, when Is he brought right? in Elvis. Yeah, he brought a lot of groups into Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Introduced Hawaii to a lot of mainland groups. Yeah, and entertainers. Yeah, he was very big, and I mean, everyone listened to him. I mean, you know, K-Point was the station. I don't think anybody ever listened to any other station. <laughs> <laughs> but K-Point was the station. He was the DJ, you know, for that. So whatever he said was great. And I remember when, um, when we were deciding what songs to put on the reprise la label, of course, the flip side of your song, Bossa Nova Love, um, you know, and we said, well, what do you think would be something, you know, that would be something great for a hit? And I remember him always saying, Linda, nobody knows. If we knew, we would be rich. <laughs> and he said, you never know how great, even if how great the song sounds, how great the song is, the production. He said, you don't know if it's going to be a hit. You don't know if people are going to like it. So he just said, from all of his years of being a DJ, um, it's a gamble, you know. And he, I think, I, I truly believe he was right. Yeah. Yeah. So you just do your best and record your best and <laughs> and hope people will like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was was it a big hit? Did you guys make a million bucks off of it, or? Um, no, we did not. <laughs> but it was a very big hit. Good. In good. Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, I think it became um after the first hit it came back oh, like wow. yeah second and third time like several years later because my sister would call me and she'd say because i'd be on the mainland and she would say linda they're playing your song again i mean not just once in a while i mean it's like going on Amazing. so i'm going yeah. wow <laughs> yeah it was very very exciting times yeah, yeah. So I, I want to ask you about the album that you recorded uh -huh. with uh, Surfside Records, right. and I'm, maybe you could tell us how that ended up happening because you you left for San Francisco and went to school. Right. Did you come back? I and, came back, okay. and then um, I decided I wasn't sure which way to go, but I just I started modeling. I went to modeling school because people said, oh, you should be on commercials. And so I went to modeling school and um, just did, um, and then I started getting interviews for modeling and then I, and that went really well. And then Otasang was looking for a singer, but I really wasn't singing much at that time. Um, and so I auditioned for it, and he was looking for two singers, one male and one female, because um, he was creating a new group, and he was looking for s more of a show group. Mm -hmm. And so um, I auditioned, and I got it. And so um, Alvin um, Okami also was the other singer, but I think maybe it was a little later. 
So I performed with Otasang for quite a few years. I don't know, three or four years. And the first thing we did was um, the canoe house, which was in the Ilikai. And we opened that and we had a pretty big group. And he always had another featured instrumentalists. And um, the one that he had at that time was Maurice, uh, Mauricio. And, but anyway, so I was sang with him and Otasang was under Hula Records, which was Don McDermott Jr. label, and which was mainly all Hawaiian. But Don wanted to do one that was going to be more popular music. So he opened his other, another label just for that, which was Surfside. And so he put Otasang on that label because Otasang really was doing some Hawaiian, but he went more into the pop. Yeah, he had a lot of albums on Surfside. Yeah. There's one even called like Contemporary Moods of Otasang. Yes. Stringed out, some kind of psychedelic yes, yes. pop so, music. Yeah, he was such a talent. He not was. He is a talented ukulele player. And he brought, as you know, the ukulele. He made the ukulele popular yeah. with popular music. Yeah, yeah. So it was very an exciting time. So because I was with them... Uh, with Otasang, and we were doing really well in the circuit, you know, in Waikiki and Japan. Mm. Um, Don McDermott Jr., I guess, looked at me and said, you know, maybe we sh I should try and put her, you know, on the label. Wow. Yeah, and so we did a lot of 45s. Okay. Um, and um, when Alvin came on board, we did some dual things on Surfside also, and they were all composed by um, Otasang. So it was cool. And then um, he asked me if I wanted to do an album, and I went, sure. <laughs> and that's how um, the album came about. What was the approach on the album? Did you get to choose a lot of the songs, or did Otasan come to you? With yeah, Otasan pretty much chose um, the songs. Um, and they did ask me what songs I would like to do, which I did choose, which were more of the Bossa Nova feel. Yeah, so, um, but it was, it was good, you know, I, I thought for a first album, first and last album, I didn't, I didn't do any other albums after that, I did other 45s, but it was a good time, so I don't think it got as much exposure, of course, as My Little Japanese Boy, and I think it was because of the type of songs that was, um, that was on there. Um, what do you mean, the types of songs? Well, the it wasn't the real rock, and um, it, I think it was more easy listening than anything else. And the songs that Ota song, his songs, were more popular, but not pop enough for the local radio stations that played more Hawaiian. Um, so I think it was like kind of in between. So, I mean, that's just kind of my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. And Cape, it wasn't Kapoi style music for sure. <laughs> and I don't even know if Kapoi was during that time was still as popular. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think 
things had changed. Change, yeah, things started changing. Coral radio became yeah, popular. Yeah, so, um, but nevertheless, well, what was really what was happy. being played on like coral and what was what was becoming hip? It was similar to Cape Boy, huh? Yeah, yeah. Because coral radio put on their own band production, right? Band contest, which we did or did not enter because of some conflict. I remember. Do you remember Linda playing at uh, a coral radio station? Belastoff equivalent. I, no, I, don't, I don't remember. No, no. Mm. But they were competing. They were definitely competing mm-hmm. stations. Yeah. Did Did you get back together with the tempos? Did you guys perform at all again, or? No, we didn't. No. Yeah. Yeah, but you stayed in touch, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Fred, what were you doing around that time? I was I went into the service. Because I was going to get drafted, so I thought mm-hmm. I'll I'll join the National Guard and stay home. Okay. But then they started giving us jungle training, and I thought, oh, this is not oh wow, it's not like going to be at a home assignment. So I got shipped over to Vietnam. So I stopped at the university, went to Vietnam, came back, then finished up school, and actually did not pick up the guitar for several years till I, till I started working at Hawaiian Electric and some some folks knew that I had been part of the backup band for Linda and so I got involved with jingles that they needed to have for uh, announcing Hawaiian Electric events like Aloha United Way needed a theme song for Hawaiian Electric because there's a lot of way lot of employees to reach and so do you remember where you recorded those jingles it was done at at Hawaiian Electric they have a oh okay they have a studio for video and audio okay and it was short jingles with an intent to publicize events like uh, Aloha United Way Mm -hmm. well Linda it sounds like you're pretty busy Um, after coming back from San Francisco, conservatory music. When you came back, you worked as a stockbroker's receptionist. Yeah, I did that too. <laughs> you were a record department sales clerk, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And that was with um, which label? Was it with Hula or? Um, no, that was at, with uh, Sears. Sears, okay, yeah. record department record sales. department, okay. yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then Otosan came along and... Mm-hmm you had the opportunity to record this. Do you have a favorite tune? Because there's a lot of good ones on there, I, I think. Yeah, <laughs> well, you pick. Me? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, what about you, Fred? You know, I haven't listened to the album in such a long time that yeah. I forgot what songs mm-hmm. are on the album. Okay, yeah, yeah. I want to choose a song called Young Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can tell me about that song. Sure, that's a Otasang song, mm. of course. And I really like that one, too trying to think when he wrote it. He was such a great composer. I mean, he could write songs in like a week or or like even a night, you know, like you when you compose your art. That's just the way composing is. But um, that this was also on a 45. Oh. Yeah, Young Hawaii. And um, I liked it the first time I heard it. So, yeah, it was it was great. When you say it was on a 45, do you mean I your think, version was on a yeah, 45? Yeah. 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 yeah, it wasn't recorded prior. 
released prior. You know, I think it was. I think it was yeah. released prior to um, the, album. the album. Okay. The 45. The 45. But, but no one else recorded it? No. No other scene? No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think this one was being, was played by on the Hawaiian local station. Complete with strings. Yeah. It was a full orchestra. And um, the person who conducted it and uh, arranged it, Yagi Masao from Japan. Oh, I remember the mentioning him. Yeah. And he was a very, very popular um, arranger and composer in Japan. Yeah. And just a wonderful guy. And so Otasang knew him. And so asked him if he Make would contact. Yeah, if he would do it. And so they did the whole thing, and he wow. did the whole thing. And so um, it was very exciting. Yeah. But there's a the forty five sounds a little different from this album version. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, do you recall the band that played with you for the 45 I think, version? I think it was Otosang's. Okay. Yeah, I think it was yeah. our group. And what was that group like? What were you guys... Um, it was fun. Um, he had a drummer named John Poole. Um, in fact, I brought you some pictures of him. Um, 
and he was from the mainland but living here now and he used to perform with Anita O'Day, jazz singer. Um, so he was an excellent drummer and there was another um, Diego, I can't remember his last name, who was the bass player, local boy. And it was Otasang. And I'm trying to think, I can't remember the name of the guitar player. I can see him. Uh, but he had a guitar player and they were all great. And Mauricio Smith was playing the flute at the time. Mm. I don't know if he played on Ho Young Hawaii, but when we were performing, he was there and he was from New York. Mm. And Otasang brought him over to be part of, um, you know, this um, program. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it was it was good. And Otasang, you know, he's like he's he was so such a shy personality. Um except backstage, of course. I mean, you know, he's like a real human being. I mean, you know, very um fun, different type of humor. Yeah. Um very talented. Um but when he went on stage, you know, basically all he did was he just played that um ukulele. Like you've never heard it before yeah. played, yeah. So what was happening um, after this release came out? What was mm -hmm. the music scene like? I'm assuming it kind of went into the 70s, and at some point things started changing more. Right. Right, so what happened then? Well, after this album, um, I was still with him, and I think we also did... we. We traveled to Japan okay. and um, performed uh, more as a Hawaiian group. And so I did more Hawaiian music and danced the hula, more stationary because I was singing at the same time. Um, but we traveled all over Japan and we connected with other very famous Hawaiian performers at that time. And so we performed with them did radio shows and television wow. you know type of things yeah and so it was it was fun um and then um i was with him for a while and then we were singing at the international marketplace um up above the surfers the surfers were singing i can't remember the name of the place they sang at the canton puka yes Okay, Canton Booker was downstairs, yeah. and we were upstairs, right up above them. And um, Don Ho was performing um, at the International Marketplace also at that time. Mm. Yeah. At a place called Duke's. Huh? Duke's Kanamoku, yeah. 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 So it was, um, yeah, it was real exciting. And I, I missed the surfers, you know? <laughs> yeah. They were such a great singing group as well as um, comedians mm. yeah Fred did you ever get to go and watch Linda and Otosan perform all the time all the time yeah yeah what was it like it was always exciting uh, Linda continued to do show tunes and had a wonderful backup group I remember one of the backup groups bass player was especially talented. He played an upright acoustic bass. And I think his name was Porky Beetle. Right, okay, yeah, that's that's when I was on my own, yeah. 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 
Yeah, and I used to remember seeing Linda at Pagoda, mm -hmm. the canoe house, mm -hmm. and a place called Blue Velvet. Yes, in Waikiki. Wow, you were performing everywhere, pretty much. I know. Yeah. <laughs> the Waikiki scene, it was interesting because um, people just kind of shifted from, you know, we all kind of went in the same venue, but not at the same time. You know, someone would be playing at the Hyatt. Well, Jimmy Borges was always at the Hyatt. Yeah. So no one really went into the Hyatt. But um, as far as uh, the Hilton Hawaiian Village mm -hmm. and Ala Moana, um, Moana Hotel, um, Princess Kaiolani, Queen Kapiolani, yeah, yeah. those we kind of just shifted, you know, people just, when one person um, lease, not lease, but contract residency was up, yeah, there, residency, yeah. then we, you know, someone else would move in. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was exciting times where the management, the authorities that planned for the entertainment picked local live bands. Mm -hmm. There's very few pre-recorded music for singers. It was always live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed, enjoyed that. Didn't realize how much I would miss it. Yeah, let's talk about that because it's very different nowadays. And I'm sure in, in the 80s, up until today, the, the scene is just completely different the, than what you guys The dancing trends had changed to the repetitious sound was popular and right. they used drum machines for repetition music, disco. Right, disco, yeah. So it didn't require a drummer with a lot of skill. It, you turn on this drum machine and you mm -hmm. get all these different sound and it's very accurate. It's, 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 yeah. it's down with, <laughs> and I think it became too predictable. I think live music is good because the expressions are spontaneous so mm. you don't get that with pre-recorded music yeah and and with um entertainment there also comes the i guess the the component of like entertaining the crowd interacting mm -hmm. with them outside of just the songs the talking bits in between right did you guys mm -hmm. as the tempos and later on with your group did you have like a repertoire of interacting with the crowd in a certain way um, not really. Not, not with the tempos yeah. because it was a prearranged entertainment piece that we'd go in at intermission. Mm -hmm. So we'd be in an in intermission group. So there was no audience exchange. Oh, I see, I see. I think that happened, Linda, you told me when you worked on a, on a cruise ship. Right. There, there was entertainment, entertainer, passenger interaction. Right. Right, right. And I never, I wasn't the type of singer that really enjoyed <laughs> the spontaneity, you know, of, of interacting. Um, I'm not sure why. I, I was shy. I was just really shy. I mean, singing was not a problem for me. I mean, you put me on stage and sing, I'm, I'm a different person. But when I have to start talking and interchanging, I was very shy, mm. and so that wasn't my forte, like Melvin Lead. I right. mean, you know, you watch her perform, she's like all out there, and I love that, but that wasn't my personality. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I kind of shied away from that. I, I didn't mm. mind 
um, introducing the songs and giving some research background on it and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, my style was a little different, but it seemed to work because um, I think people knew who I was, you know, so they didn't have that expectation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, what was Waikiki like as things started changing musically? Oh, it was sad, you know, because... In, in what way? Well, because when they started, when Royal Hawaiian um, decided to pull their big sh live shows, you know, Ed Kenny and all mm. of that, um, all the other hotels started following. Wow. And so they closed the big showrooms. And, you know, you still had the lounges and you still had the smaller rooms, um, like at Hawaiian um, Hilton. But I went from like a five, six band to a trio to a duo, you know, because it appeared that either maybe the tourists was not going to see the entertainment um, or just the times. You know, they didn't want to spend that much money or maybe the budget was not in with entertainment. They didn't allow mm. a lot of money for the entertainment, you know, with the hotels. Right. And so then you just, you're lucky if you got in for a duel. And then some people even went in as a single with just either a guitarist who sang yeah. or a keyboard player who also sang. So, um, yeah, it was different. <laughs> yeah, so I, and that's when I started to look for things on the mainland mm -hmm. um, or in Japan. Mm. And so m then I had a different route. I would go to the mainland for four or five months um, to perform. Um, and then I'd come back to Hawaii and then I would get like a month or two. But right. it was like with the duo or, you know, trio. Um, and then I'd go to Japan. So I just had my circuit kind of going. And then I would sing on the cruise ships. Um, and that was, I did that for about a year. And that was really cool. Yeah, I got to meet a lot of famous people and, and travel the world <laughs> <laughs> in a different way. <laughs> So, but it was it was very sad, you know. And then disco was very popular in Hawaii yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys make of disco? I I figured it would be a short-lived era, but it, it's apparently it still lingers mm -hmm. on. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> but I, in I various do, forms. Yeah. I th I see that the Blue Note is starting up and they're promoting local live musicians, mm -hmm. which I think is a good idea. I hope the trend continues. Yeah, yeah, same here. For disco, I think there's a time and place for it. But for it to appear in the main stage rooms and the major hotels, I think it would not be yeah, yeah. Not be appropriate. So right. what the Blue Note folks have, are doing, I think is, is, is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Live mm -hmm. entertainment. Yeah, and their ability to bring in live entertainment from outside yes. at a price that's not something you might expect from, say, a concert at the Blaisdell, right? Yeah, you know, right. Um, it's, it's a little more intimate, a little more affordable, can be right there up front. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. 
There is a time and place for disco music yeah. <laughs> in the discotheque, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when Summer, when Donna Summers, you know, came out with MacArthur's Park, mm-hmm. um, you know, then I really liked it. <laughs> 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 I just went, and I, you know, then all I really listened to a lot of her disco yeah. time. But then she was in Europe when she did that whole scene. But, um, yeah, I loved it because I also did MacArthur's Park when I was with Otasang. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we did a really big production of that, and I loved that song and um, started to doing a lot of Jimmy Webb tunes, who was the um, composer who mm-hmm. wrote that. But, um, yeah, Donna Summers was great. She introduced me to disco that I loved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's fast forward to... 2000, what is it, 15 or 16, mm-hmm. when uh, something called the Sock Hop was oh. happening, and it was like a reunion. Yes, yes. Gathering. Yes. With a. Yeah. Well, I I'll, I'll backtrack just a little. Sure. Um, so I graduated in 1965 from high school, Kaimaki High School. Yikes! <laughs> and I was I moved back to Hawaii uh, in 19 no yeah nine let's see. What am I? Um, 2013, because I was on the mainland for about 25 years. In Living in uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Yeah. So um, when I came back in 2013, my girlfriend from Kaimaki, who I was still in touch with, always asked me, she says, hey, you know, we're going to have our reunion, 50th year reunion. So uh, you're going to sing, right? I'm going, what? No, no. And she says, oh, you have to sing. No. You know, I was like, no, no. I'll take you to lunch. No. I'll take, okay, I'll go to lunch, but no, I'm not going to sing. But she was so persistent, and she just said, look, everybody, it would mean so much to everyone if you sang that song. And I went, oh, my gosh. I went, you know, I sounded like a frog then, and I said, okay, if I'm going to ask Fred, the leader of our group of the Tempos, if he can do it, if he's willing, um, I will consider it. And so she says, okay. And this was like a year before, you know, the reunion, I think, you know? So, yeah, so I called Fred and I asked him and he wasn't sure, gave him little time to absorb. And, <laughs> um, and then he finally said yes. And I went, really? Oh my God, that means I have to practice. <laughs> I have to start singing scales. <laughs> and so we started rehearsing, I don't know if it was six months or... About six months. About six months before the reunion. I started practicing on my own before I met with him um, just to get my 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 throat together or who I, I the best I could. So anyway, um, so that's what happened. And then we uh, rehearsed a month before, no, six months before, maybe once a week or once every other week. And then as the gig got closer, then I think it was every weekend, yeah. Sure. When you thought I was hesitating, my actual answer was yes in my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had purchased the guitar that I always wanted while we were playing. It's a Fender Jaguar. And so it, with the sunburst, exactly what I wanted when we played in the group, but as a temple, so it's a backup for Linda. But 
money wasn't easy to come by, so I settled in with a Epiphone guitar. But I finally got the guitar I wanted, wanted, and for Linda to ask me to do backup, I it took a split second. But I, I guess I waited to call you back because yeah, <laughs> yeah, dream come true. Yeah, yeah, dream come true. What was the reaction like from the crowd? Oh, they loved it. Yeah, they yeah. really loved it, and it was gonna um, make me cry. It was it was beautiful. Yeah. He did such a great job. Yeah. So it was just him and I, you know, that we were on stage and we performed. And, and we did that song and about two other songs, two or three other songs. Graduation that, Day. Yeah, Graduation Day. And that's, that's all. all. Yeah. yeah. Both songs that we performed in high school. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was very meaningful. Yeah. And everyone just loved it. They were, you could see all these recording, you know, videos. Yes, <laughs> I'm going. Oh my gosh, they got us now! And uh, but it was it was wonderful, and it was um, everybody really enjoyed it. And then after that, um, um, someone had heard that you know I had sang at the reunion, and this it was um, for the sock hop. Right. And so then they asked us to, they actually asked us to perform. Wow. But you didn't feel like you wanted, wanted to do that one. Yeah, I was used yeah. to having a, a bass player and a drummer yeah. along with me. And so I thought the sound wouldn't be full enough for, mm. for a stage performance. Yeah. So yeah. luckily, uh, the guy that organized the sock hop. Was it Doug Oshiro? Doug, Doug Oshiro, yeah. yeah. Um, he was able to make a backtrack. Yeah. Oh wow. He, he um he already he already found the backtrack. He was into the karaoke scene. Oh. And all of his he was a DJ and everything was on the CD type of DJ. Right. And so and he knew people who had karaoke uh, places and George Kimoto, the person who wrote the song and was a guitar player, already did a karaoke for that and he heard of George and so everybody was like connected so he told me Doug told me you don't have to worry about background you know I've got a karaoke one I can do it up or down whatever key you want to do it wow. in. and I was like oh my god how can you say now no now you know <laughs> it's like really okay and so that's how the whole thing started. And so we just picked a date uh, for one of the sock hops that he did. And then I, um, I went and performed. And in between, I was talking to George Kimoto. Mm. And uh, we connected by phone. And he showed up wow. at the sock hop to hear me sing his song. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really cool. And, and that was another amazing night about... Over 250 people attended. Wow. Yeah, it was at the Seisibong um, Pagoda Ballroom. And um, quite a few people from where I worked was there also. That I didn't even know I had people from that era, you know, <laughs> that wor I worked with me. And it was for me, singing that and watching the audience was... Um, was very touching because they had um, they put up um, there some of them were smokers I guess so they had their their um, 
what do you call them? Lighters. Their lighters yeah. up, and they were going back and forth in the corner in the back. And I just, I almost cried. Here I'm singing that song, and I'm going, wow, they really wanted me here, you know? Yeah. It was very touching. Very good. Yeah. So that song really brought us a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was really touched our hearts, even over 50 years later, <laughs> that people are still touched by it. Yeah. And I got, you know, people would come up to me and just tell me how grateful they are, and they'll hold my hand, and they'll just say, thank you for singing. I'm just, this is, I never heard you sing live. And so for them, it was amazing, yeah. And then another person said, you know, I have the YouTube song that you, my little, of my little Japanese boy, on my computer screen, and I listen to it all the time. <laughs> and I looked at her and I went, "Wow, you know, you, you don't know how much something touched other people. You know, something you sang or you performed touched other people." And people just kept kept on coming to me, you know, and I was like practically in tears, just saying, "Oh, thank you so much." Yeah, it was um, um, an eye-opener because nobody told me that when I was singing. You know, <laughs> nobody told me that when it was all going on, when it was all happening, you know, yeah. in the 60s. I had no idea. I knew it was popular. It was a big hit. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that it touched so many people's hearts. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, music can do that. Yeah. Just stay with you and hold memories and meaning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah those were wonderful times. So let someone with a deep love to Thank you again for listening. My name is Roger Bong of Aloha God Soul and you can find this interview and many more at alohagodsoul.com or on our SoundCloud. Feel free to reach out and share any memories that you have about Linda Green and the tempos, or really any music from Hawaii from the past or present. Someone who cares like me.